there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This turned out to be a very bad dead leg, and it could have led to a blood clot. Cannot I cannot stress the importance of what Harry just said enough. How concerned are you? with the amount of games of football that they're playing. What's the difference between an ACL, Raj, and an MCL? A hamstring injury, why is that generally occurring and so commonly in professional football? Nearly 30% of footballers re-injure the hamstring within two weeks of returning. And other things like Jude Bellingham are physical freaks. You know, he shouldn't have been physically able to cope with playing first thing football at 15. I know lots of young players that have had major growth spurts and they start to get stress back fractures. so excited for this podcast this is the ripple effect and we are about to talk about injuries which doesn't sound exciting alex but it harry who joined me again uh we did the podcast earlier in the week it was actually a couple of minutes ago but it was released earlier in the week and hopefully you guys have enjoyed that and we did tease what this podcast was going to be about and dr rajpal bra joins me and us importantly to talk about a lot of different things here so first of all word of the week Setback. The definition is a reversal or check in progress. Put that into a sentence. It's a serious setback for the peace process. That's what they went with. Anyway, what we want to talk about <laughs> is the, some, the, I know, the amount of injuries that we're seeing in the Premier League right now, but also how that is going to affect this generation of fantastic players. So the temptation and almost natural reaction is to put young players on a pedestal when they perform well, not only because of the excitement, but also because the speculation of how good they may become. This was the case with a lot of young players, and unfortunately, this doesn't always go to plan. Therefore, we need to stop being overzealous with these guys because a few different things could happen if we do. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. There's a quote here from The Athletic, a recent article. So a recent FIFPro report outlined how players such as Vinicius Jr., Jude Bellingham and Kylian Mbappe had played far more at a younger age than those of the equivalent profile in previous generations. One statistic was that by his 20th birthday in June, Bellingham had played 30% more competitive minutes, 14,445, than Wayne Rooney, 10,989 did. And that was Rooney, who, for all his achievements with Man United and England, could not be said to have stayed at his peak of his powers far beyond his mid-twenties. So we want to find out what it's like from from Harry in terms of the load that these young players have to deal with, both from um, the training perspective, but also the the mental side as well. And um, from Raj, want to understand the load on these players as well. But let's zoom out initially and talk about the amount of Premier League injuries that have revealed themselves over the last few months. Raj, what is your overriding feeling when you see such a multitude of injuries at such an early stage in the season? 
And my overriding feeling, unfortunately, is that um, it's all too expected considering the amount of workload you have players playing. I mean, they, they had no summer break right this past year. Um, they had the World Cup in December, which kind of messed with a lot of their scheduling. So when you have footballers playing year round and there's no proper recovery, you are opening yourself up to injuries. And it's something we see not only, of course, we're meant to talk about the Premier League, but we see it throughout the football and world, right? In the big six with players who are playing year round. I think specifically in the Premier League, because we know the intensity of the Premier League is higher. For example, the data with sprints and the, the, the amount of bursts and sprints in the Premier League is higher than any other league. So you have the intensity level that's higher. Then you add in lack of recovery, you add in more games, you add in more travel, more workload. It's just, I mean, the underlying uh, theme is just risk. Mm. So so with, let me pick apart maybe a couple of those elements. So first of all, let's, let's go travel first. Yep. I think with, you know, World Cup in Qatar, that's before you even, you know, factor in the, the football that's being played, but also the preseason tours this year and, and actually probably for the last 10 years and certainly for the, for the top clubs and those top clubs are playing in Europe as well. The, the flights that you have to take um, and the travel that you have to do from, you know, from the, that point of view of the body itself, how, how much does that actually uh, affect things? Because one thing I want to kind of admit is that I've generally been quite hard on the idea of the, the moaning of, oh, more games, more games. Because I kind of look, I'm a, I'm a fan of a team that's in the championship and you have 46 games and you play Tuesday, Saturday quite regularly. What, what I'm sort of, I've, I think I've, I would like to apologise because I think what I'm seeing... It's a couple of different things. First of all, I think the amount of games that certain players have to play, despite the size of the squads mm-hmm. that they have, and w- we can get onto Bakaya Saka and how important he is, but he's, regardless if you've got 30 players, 50 players, it, they're still going to want him to, to play. That's a big part of this. But then the second part is, you know, travelling to Shakhtar Donetsk or wherever you might need to go to. That's going to, you would imagine that would play a part more so than at, at a, a level where you're just travelling domestically. From a physiological point of view, how does travel affect a player, player's body or anyone's body? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you, one, you're, you're, you're seated for a while. But secondly, your time zone changes, which are going to completely disrupt your sleep pattern, for example. I think disrupt your sleep patterns, we know, leads to all sorts of other issues. So, And then they also disrupt kind of your your rhythm and your, and your habits, whether it's working out, training, whatever it, whatever it is. So now when you're changing time zones constantly – you have that inherent adaptation period every single time. Now, when you stack those, right, again, those margins decrease in terms of just, you know, being able to function at a normal level. Right. That, I mean, that's fascinating because I guess we, we just see, you see a game, the game finishes, mm-hmm. they get put back in their box and we when then we see them sort of rolled out for the for next uh, game. <laughs> in terms of, so to pull at that thread and, and Harry can come in on, on this one as well, but I'll go to you first, Raj. Sleep. And you're kind of saying we were talking about this podcast is obviously called the ripple effect, but the ripple effect of not having sleep. There's so many different ways that that can kind of hurt your recovery. But so how yeah. does how does a lack of sleep affect um, affect anyone? Because I guess uh, we've heard this with say Delhi Ali recently and the difficulty he's had. These games are going on for later and later. So even without travel, sleep is is part of this. Before you even factor a game every three three um, days. So how does sleep affect someone? Or lack of sleep, sorry. I mean, it really affects everything. I always tell people, imagine how you feel a, a day where you didn't sleep well versus when you did feel well, right? It's affecting every minute of your day. And now you're talking about an athlete, an elite, elite level athlete 
who is now being, you know, asked to train, to play, right? All these things. And so it's going to make you more sluggish. And it's going to, we know, you know, it can lead to increased inflammatory markers as well. There's research showing that, especially for youth athletes, there's actually increase in injuries when players sleep less than six hours per night. So um, why? There's a multitude of reasons, most likely. Um, but just in general, we, we know sleep is the most one of the most restorative things you can have for your body. Mm. Harry, when you're working with these different players and they, they have those games and God, I remember it. Uh, I remember at an incredibly low level playing a night game and you just like under the lights, you know, you like obviously exert yourself massively. I couldn't, you just couldn't sleep. Mm. So to do that in front of an actual crowd mm-hmm. instead of four people, like must be, must be very difficult. Have you, has that, that been a factor in, in your coaching in terms of seeing that in those players and their, their difficulty with, with that? I mean, yeah, in terms of the players I work with, when it gets to um, professional level or very high level academy in terms of like age groups, 18s, 21s, Premier League 2, first team, etc. I'm yet to work with a player on a consistent basis that doesn't have at least some element of an injury or fatigue um, all the time. They are never, ever fully, fully fit. Um, They are always having to manage something. Uh, Usually it's fatigue. Um, or a, a tight something somewhere, um, and and they have to manage it um, for whatever reason. So recovery is vital. Um, it's a big reason again why so many players nowadays do things like Pilates and yoga to 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 keep the body flexible, to keep it be able to cope with the workload. You have to do so much now, um, because and people. People that maybe don't understand will say, oh, but, you know, there wasn't as many hamstring injuries back in the 1970s. It's, it's almost different. And I remember seeing a stat not too long ago, and I'm, I, the numbers could be way off, but it, the context is what's important here. Mm. And I think that when Jose Mourinho joined Chelsea, and this was 2004, um, the, the, the average running stats for a team was something like, I don't know, 92 kilometres a, a game. He bumped it up to like 107 for Chelsea. And now that's been massively usurped again. And the numbers could be way off there. But the point of the matter is that even in the last 20 or so years, the number of sprints that players are doing, the number of repetitive actions, that it's gone through the roof. And that is why the bodies are breaking down more. It's not just the number of games they're playing. It's the intensity of those games. And the pressures of them and even even things like I don't know if there's actually a medical thing with this but even like I've noticed that mental pressures can sometimes lead to a player's body breaking down a bit more as well I don't know if that's actually a, a, a medical thing yeah. um, because it doesn't really make sense I guess but no, um, I think it does I think Raj maybe you can jump in here I think it's one where yeah. if you if you are tired and can't sleep yeah I mean, I haven't slept for five ways. years, so I'm struggling big time. I'd, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't slept last year as well, I understand. But yeah, it but, yeah. does. It's like, you know, it can lead to bad decisions. It can lead to... But you talk to me about the, the inflammatory element of it, because I was going to move on to... Mikel Arteta said something, this was about a year ago, and Alex, maybe you, might, you can jump in here as well, is that this, this idea that he, he wasn't really giving Saka an excuse for not being, able, being available yeah. for a game every three days. Uh, and he says, I've seen, you know, he said, you won't find a doctor that's uh, that will convince me that these players can't play every three days because I've seen it. You know, you've seen it with Messi, you've seen it with Ronaldo, you've seen it with these players. But in terms of the inflammatory element of it, the fatigue, the sleep, how much recovery after elite sport 
do you feel like a player actually needs? I mean, typically you want at least two days between games, minimum, minimum, right? And then, and that's not even considering what the cumulative effect of, of, of what their workload is. And so, you know, when you have a guy playing every third day for that long, you're going to have these cumulative effects of fatigue of them. Like Harry said, you know, you're always trying to manage something. Like, for example, with Saka this year, he's been managing some Achilles tightness all year. But that's just, that's part and parcel. So the problem becomes when everything becomes cumulative over time, like we're seeing with him, right? World Cup, summer's not off. Yeah, in a vacuum, if you had... Honestly, in my opinion, if you had a season and the player played every three days, then they actually had a time in the summer to actually recover and rest and build themselves back up. That's a completely different story than you have someone just constantly grinding every three days, you know, in perpetuity. That that is completely different. One thing we on the on the previous topic about, you know, how being tired, it can lead to, you know, decrease poor decision making and in decreased reflexes. So mm-hmm. someone you know, a 53 challenge, I'm going to go in for this ball, but I might be late. Or it's a challenge I normally wouldn't make, but, you know, your decision-making is not there because you're a little fatigued. It's, it might lead you to making a worse decision or have it making a poor tackle, which injures a player, injures yourself. Or you're not able to jump out of that tackle because your reflexes are decreased, right? So all those little things times thousands of repetitions, mm. it could lead to an injury potentially. To, to a complete layman, aka me, what does a good recovery look like? Because obviously we hear the word recovery and we we sort of think of, you know, ice baths and Ronaldo getting in and whatever, that sort of stuff. But but there must be levels to how good your recovery is. What is a optimal recovery if there is such a thing? Well, it really, it really varies depending on, on the player's load. Like immediately following, let's say, a game, I mean, you kind of just want some downtime to allow that person to stay, you know, everything to settle down. And then depending on how they respond, let's say the next day, it could be more treatment, more passive treatment, or it could be more active recovery, right? So we're seeing a lot of research now on the benefits of active recovery, meaning it's like, you know, gentle cardio to help get the muscles going and and helping in that regard. So um, I wouldn't say there's any optimal recovery in general. It has to all be individualized to that person and how they're feeling. To me, that is optimal recovery. It's it's individualized. But there must be there must be players, right, who are sounds stupid almost better at recovery or like more disciplined in it surely yeah yeah absolutely absolutely also i've I've read things about the like you said there's sometimes if you're used to used to game after game after game after game it can actually be a dangerous thing to to stop so which makes it quite Mm -hmm. murky waters because if you've got uh, you know if you're used to that kind of your body's used to that rhythm of playing these amount of games if you give yourself it's a bit like um you might not have this, Raj, but in in the UK, I, often everyone will work really hard up until about mid December, and then they'll stop. <laughs> they'll stop for Christmas, and everyone will get ill mm. because you kind of given yourself that moment. Yeah. And and I wonder if that is the is the case with some of these these players. Um, Harry, in terms of your work with these players, you've got to kind of fit in around yeah. training, games, and everything uh, above that. So does that make it awkward? sometimes for you in terms of what you would like to do and what you can do for a player because you've got to sort of tread around this how how, what are your experiences of of the recovery of your players and what they kind of have to go through and what it's like yeah typically speaking and no actually yeah the the, the older the player gets um the less pitch time you have with them um because so much of their week is is game day saturday sunday whatever it might be recovery then they've got the match prep for the next game and all that kind of stuff And, and the time isn't the same so i've always been a believer in and I've nowhere near the expertise of Roger obviously but I've always been a believer in within reason 
it's not about how much you work. It's about the smart work. So there's I, I see examples of players um, online and the session looks like it's really hard work and it's gone on for like an hour and a half and there's hurdles and it's this yeah, and da, yeah. da, 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 da. But the actual work that they've put in, the usefulness of that is, is the smallest percentage. And then sometimes you can time things really badly. So I've seen players where they've gone to their, their PT and they've, they've killed their legs. But then the next day, the club had planned to do physical training. And it's like, what a waste of time that was. Mm. So it's not about, it's not about sort of like necessary within reason, the workload. It's about the smart work. So I, I have done session. Honestly, I have traveled four hours in a car to do a 40 minute session with a player before. Because and people might think, why would you do that? That doesn't equate, but it does equate because it pays that, you. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that 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 but that forty minutes, but that forty minutes doesn't have to be taxing work, but it can be work that fits in with their schedule, and it can have that little few moments that help them in the long term. I think it's, I think it's a dangerous thing when there's no. Um, connection between what the club does and what the player does and what the coach does there has to be that connection and I understand why clubs will hate a lot of people like me because so many and listen I might be getting it wrong who knows but mm. so many are clearly getting it so wrong and that puts players at a detriment and uh, yeah I guess it's a lack of control isn't it it's a lack of control and it's more and there's, those two things there's, yeah, there's, feel there's, there's nothing really the club can do because yeah. a footballer will have yeah. their guys and they will trust them. And I'd like to think the most, especially the experienced ones, know what's good for them. They know that they know what they need. The younger ones is a little bit of a different story, but generally speaking, the professionals, they know what works for them. They know what they need. They, they, they're, they're more intelligent than people give them credit for. But I do see a lot of examples where the, the extra workload they're doing is nonsensical and non-beneficial. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, it's a map. Sorry, bro. Let's go for it. I was going to say that that's, um, that's like a massive, massive point. I, and I can't emphasize that enough about what Terry just said is that, is that you have a lot of players who just aren't planning out their, you know, what their workload effectively. And a lot of that is just due to lack of communication between those individuals, you know, the PT, the trainer, whoever it is and the team. And it is, it just leads to so many issues. I, I just cannot, I cannot stress the importance of mm. what Harry just said enough. And I guess workload is so bespoke to literally yes. every, both, you know, a squad player would be different to to a first team player and just, you know, player by player, it's going to be very different as well. Because, you know, coming back to the, the Saka thing, it's a, it's an amazing world where that we've got to where there's so much conversation about someone who wasn't officially who's so important but also not officially injured yet yeah i yeah i, I use the phrase parasocially parental about uh, arsenal fans relationship with saka right. i think we literally feel like his dad collectively so i think there is a, there is an element of that I'm, I'm sure that's interesting but also what's important to make the point of that like it's not a one-size-fits-all everyone's body reacts differently to different things you know there's been plays yep. that you know i've done work with and their, their endurance and being able to repeat they don't have the same capacity as other yeah. players. And then there's others that are more susceptible to injuries, you know, and there's, and some players are more susceptible to certain types of injuries. So I, when I played, I always used to have really bad ankles. And I think a big part of that is because I was really bow-legged. So I've always had really awkward yeah. uh, angles going in. But, and, everyone, and some players don't have that. Some players might have more of a susceptibility to certain things. And other things, 
like Jude Bellingham, uh, physical freaks. You know, he shouldn't have been physically able to cope with playing first team football at 15. That is not, it doesn't matter how big you are, a 15 year old boy should not be able to physically cope with playing with men, but he, he could. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, every situation is different, but that's more like a freak, to be honest. This is probably for both of you. Yeah. Is there a way you can look at a player, say as a fan, you can look at a player and be like, ah, they're susceptible to that type of injury? Like, is there a specific physical marker? I, I couldn't. I don't think so. Yeah. But, but I don't yeah. know. No. No. I mean, there was, there was, there was, there was, I remember years ago, I think it was Stan Collymore said on the radio that he said that he predicted Jack Wilshere would be able to have certain types of injuries because he had a really weird shape of his legs and his yeah, ankles. Yeah, he sort of ran on... And it always sort of go into challenges. But I don't know if that's nonsense, but I... Fergie famously said that Henderson had a strange gait. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, therefore, yeah, that, that's why he didn't sign him. Mm. Uh, Raj, you, you you agree? You don't you don't see anything when generally when people are playing? I would love to say I'm omniscient, but yeah, it, it, it's so uh, it, it's so difficult mm. to, to do it just based, based on how someone's... Uh, yeah. being out there there's there's so much variance when it comes to human movement that to say that you know one player you know it can be injury you know based on one very very limited sample size that's just if anyone says that in my opinion it kind of undermines your credibility even if you relate it to boxing like look at Tarson fury and look at anthony joshua <laughs> no but seriously yeah, I, yeah. I, like in terms of endurance and cardiovascular Tarson fury is going to go a lot longer than anthony joshua you wouldn't think so, looking at their bodies. On Saka specifically, is there a... Because it feels like from a fan perspective, he's just incredibly resilient and he can get kicked and kicked and kicked and he can, you know, what is it, like 87 games he managed in a row? Is there anything specifically with him that you think, well, there's a reason why he's so resilient or is it just a, a mix of physicality and recovery and whatever? I really think with him, it, it's it has been it's been his habits from day one. Mm. Everyone who I know who spoke about him from, from Hale End said that you know, he's always been... An incredible professional mm. right from like when he was a young kid and those you know effects are also cumulative in the positive way and so that's the key thing when i look at kids i'm looking at what their what their habits are because mm. that's what really multiplies over time mm. right to give them that resilience and so with soccer that's what i've always heard about him and you'll see mikhail talk about it. i am in my opinion our you know mikhail that's part of his recruitment profile is finding players who have the proper habits and who've had them for years, right? And so with Saka, I've heard the same thing, man. Like he's incredibly humble in the way that he takes every day like the last that he has to earn it. And so he understands the importance of the day to day to day. Mm -hmm. And that's what multiplies over time to build that adaptability and that resilience. And and, and honestly, oh, sorry, just the point about being able to play with, being able to play with Knox, that's just, to me, that's an outlier with him. He's able to just, you know, I mean, he's getting hit a lot. Mm-hmm. We, we, I think all Arsenal fans are like, he's not being protected enough, but he's able to pick up and play through that. And that's not something, in my opinion, that's, I don't know how you, I don't know how you teach that. I wish yeah, I knew, yeah. but that's something specific, very specific to him. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. come back to this 
uh, graph that we've got here in terms of people in the minutes that they played in that list. So we've got Bellingham, Neymar, Pedri, Kylian Mbappe, Saka, Wayne Rooney, Deli Ali, Raheem Sterling, Ian Robin, uh, Eden Hazard, Marcus Rashford, and then Cristiano Ronaldo. And then there's a bit of a quite a drop off actually in terms of the amount of games mm-hmm. played from Ronaldo with 107 games to to Lewandowski with 60 games. That list of names that I've just read, there's a little bit of everything there. Yeah. You know, I think so. Mm-hmm. But Rashford has had to deal with injuries and kind of get on with it. Hazard certainly. Ian Robbins, certainly. Um, Deli Alley has had difficulties. Wayne Rooney's had difficulties. And and we're going to get on to those guys right at the top, though, I think it's really interesting because Jude Bellingham, 191 games. <laughs> Neymar, mm. 163. Pedri, Mbappe, Bakayo Saka, the next three, 158, 171, 140. So, you know, apart from Neymar, they're all in there, yeah. young, playing right now. Now, there's never been more science. There's never probably been um, more uh, leadership in terms of these players growing up in an era of someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, who did lead the way in terms of getting the best out of your body. But also, I think there's more of, um, because the coaching has been so impressive over the last 15 years, it feels like these players are playing earlier and are becoming more influential as well. Mm. We spoke about Jack Wilshere there. Is there something we've said like okay, you don't, different bodies are going to be different, right? And say someone like uh, Wayne Rooney comes in at sixteen, you know, he's built like a man already, so he's good to go. Jack Wilshere was able to still come in because he was just so good, but he he was much much smaller. Today's version of that is someone like Pedri, who's who's going through some injuries right now after having an outrageous first season where you know he plays in the Olympics, he plays in the Euros, mm. he plays an outra- outrageous mm-hmm. amount of games. The, the when that load is put on a, a body in terms of being 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. When we look at this, the sort of data, say, of, of the last couple of years, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Rodri, three players that played an outrageous amount of games in the last 18 months, all three of them in the, those early 18 to 21 kind of years didn't have that same amount of pressure put on their bodies. Mm. When it comes to these... Those players that we're speaking about, Bellingham, Pedri, um, Saka, who we're, it feels like we're all a little bit concerned about them because this feels like a little bit too mm. much. In terms of a body that is still growing, um, what are, how concerned are you with the amount of games of football that they're playing? I think it's concerning, absolutely. I, 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 like I said, I think the concern is number of games being played without proper recovery time. To, right? to that specific and- age, right? Raj as well oh yeah yeah, yeah, could you just could you just explain that to me a little bit Raj in terms of why is it a problem because you would feel youth youthful vigor but there feels like there's a concern because of because of the age can you explain yeah yeah for sure because you're I mean at that age your your body is still developing absolutely and your body is still adapting to the high level strength and conditioning right so that's an added uh, a, a very pertinent variable during that time that you have to be considerate of and so it's an interesting mix because I'm, I'm sure Harry can speak to this as well. You know, during every kind of for every age or maybe like, you know, a couple a couple of years, you you understand there's different developmental phases that yeah. that humans tend to go through. Right. And so you have to take you have to be um, you have to be cognizant of that fact. And you have players, you know, that 18 to 22 range, they're still developing, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes in, up until 25. And so I've seen multiple players who who even 
become quote quote unquote injury prone when they're younger, but at, when they adapt around that 25 you know, year old and their body's robust, they're now able to handle that workload. Why, so, why are you more susceptible to injury at that at that developmental phase of your body from 18 to 20, as you said? I'm not sure I could say you're more susceptible, but you just have to be cognizant of the other factors going on because you know, there's still physiological development happening at that time, which which kind of throws can, can throw kind of a wrench into everything else. Mm. So you have to you have to be more cognizant of those things. Is that big? What I'm trying to get to is 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 that because you in your own mind don't know your body well enough, or your body is not as hardened as a 26 year old body? Which what which one is is it? I, I think I think it's both. To be honest with you, I think it's a combination of that, and then also you might have players. And I've seen this personally. You have players trying to break in who aren't as honest with you because they don't want to say, "Hey, I'm injured. I need to sit this game out." Whereas if they've already earned a contract and they're 25, 26, right now they don't have as much pressure on them to play those games. So that's a huge part of it as well. Do, do you do you see that element of it in terms of like, you know, you'll build at that stage. You're trying to create a career, yeah. not not just you're not just sustain a career. And I think you know once you've got a uh, once you've got a couple of years under your belt and you, you feel that sort of value in yourself, you can you can hold your hand up and go, do you know what, I'm, my hamstring's struggling a little bit here. Have, have you had occurrences of that? thousand percent. Every player mm. I know that I've worked with has pushed themselves through occasions and games or trainings or whatever it might be, trials, um, where perhaps the body was telling them, oh, you need to miss this one out, and they haven't. And... It is such a difficult thing for me per se to to advise them on because let's so, let's say I work with a player that isn't signed to a club yet or has been released or whatever it is and they're eighteen years old and <clears throat> they finally got their opportunity and they go into and they've got a tight tight groin and it's like I can't tell them don't train or don't go in because that might be their only opportunity mm. for or that might be the opportunity. But I can't make them do it because if they end up, I mean, or whatever it might be, they could end up doing a lot more damage to themselves. And I think it's one of those where you kind of have to play it by ear and you have to understand, the player has to understand themselves. They have to understand what they can push through and what they can't. And it's a, it's a very tough one. It's a very tough one. Are there certain areas of the body that develop later? Like I know like in the brain, I think it's like the prefrontal cortex doesn't start developing until yeah, like 25. See. I've heard about like Smith Rowe is having like groin issues and you mentioned groin again there. That was just an example. No, no, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's in, you know, is there certain areas in young players that, or just anyone that develops latest or is that not a thing? Not really. I mean, muscular development is pretty, is generally kind of, um, you know, equal around the body. But, you know, with footballers, you have certain areas that you know are going to be overloaded, right? Yeah. Attic or groin, calves, hamstrings, quad, you know, lower body, a lot of it too. So that's just areas you, you just have to pay attention to. I wouldn't say they develop later. I just say, you know, when you're using them that often, they can just kind of become one of those those uh, constant management points like Harry's mentioned multiple times. And there are lots of injuries that young players do tend to get more than older ones as their body develops. So I know lots of young players yep. that have had major growth spurts and they start to get stress back fractures. Right. Yeah, I know a yep. lot of I know a load of young yep. players that have had stress back fractures. And if you do the incorrect work with that, that can easily be repeated again and it can be a big, big problem. There's one player I was working with, seventeen years old and the club messed up and he and he he, he didn't just do one side because they messed up he done both sides 
he had like eight to 14 mm. months out of the game because of that. A lot of players, now this isn't as serious, but it can still take a big chunk out of games. A lot of young people, they end up getting Osgood Schlatter's disease in their knees because of the, the growing. And what, the, and can you explain Can you explain that, Harry? If not, Raj, could you explain that to me? Because I honestly know nothing. It, uh, Raj is better to do it than me, but it's like a lump underneath the knee um, that comes from um, overworking and growing at the same time. Yeah, it's just it's repetitive stress on that bone. Yeah, as you're as you're growing, right? So there's also something called Seaver's disease that's on the heel. Same thing, mm. um, kind of same thing where it's over. It's repetitive pull on that bone, which then leads to pain. Yeah, sometimes because... it's called Ajaxlater, sometimes it's called Jumper's knee. Okay, but I've had a lot of players that have had. Uh, there was a one recently um, that had an issue, and I can't remember what issue he had, which is really annoying me. Um, but um, he was almost felt the pressure was almost put on him with the environment around him to play through it and it was only when they were strong enough to go no I need to go get seen by this they kind of went oh yeah that was actually bad like that could have been bad and it was like but he was 15 16 are you really going to go and take take it to the club yeah especially when they're being made there is still a lot of people out there that are like that I'll get on with it get on with it there is that I totally want to come. I want to come back to the pressures because I think that is a huge part of this. But what I did want to just kind of tick off, if it's if it's okay, is mm. I've got some sort of statistics here in terms of like the most expensive injuries, which is quite interesting because basically it's like players once they're out, obviously you're paying their wages, but they're not available, and so how much is that going to kind of cost them? And it felt like there was there were three clear, uh, clear sort of areas uh, that were the you know the most common F- miles out in front was hamstring injuries so in the 22-23 season which is the most up-to-date I could I could find uh, there were 118 hamstring strains eight hamstring surgeries and 19 incidents of tight hamstrings this is the prem this is the prem yes so with that right let's just go through them because yeah so there's that and then there's knocks and then there's uh, knee injuries so first of all how is uh, for those people that, that don't know when it comes to a hamstring injury why is that generally occurring and so commonly in professional football? Yeah, I mean, one, firstly, if, for those who don't, the hamstrings are the muscle on the back, on the back of your leg, right? That attach from the, the basically the bottom of your butt to your back, back of your knee. And it's really, really common in football because they're under demand all the time. And, it's, and not just in terms of actual the muscle strength, but a lot of stretch on that muscle too, whether you're reaching for a ball, right? That That's what's really unique about the hamstrings in football is that in most sports, it doesn't require that much flexibility in your hamstring because you're not burning your leg up, right? Like whatever other sport, basketball, whatever it is. Whereas in football, you oftentimes are in these awkward positions and that's going to put that, that added load and tension. Now you add in these high level bursts, especially in the premier league. So for example, we know the most hamstring injuries occur during, during sprints. That's why in general, sprinters have the highest prevalence of hamstring injuries. Just when you're sprinting, there's, this, I won't get into too many details, a specific part of the sprint loads the hamstring the most. And so you combine those two things and you have a very, very high prevalence of hamstring injuries and also of hamstring re-injury recurrence for like high level research shows nearly 30% of footballers re-injure the hamstring within two weeks of returning. Wow. And there's some, in terms of players that we're concerned about um, back in the day, Michael Owen was one of those players who, he did his hamstring, was lightning quick. Don't do a Michael Owen impersonation. I can see oh, you I get, getting it ready. I haven't got one. <laughs> the, um, 
and but and in his book he spoke about how, like the surgery that he had was horrific like and they got it completely wrong has there has there been advancements in that when it comes to hamstring injuries because they do seem to be so regular yeah i mean you don't, you don't see hamstring surgeries all that often it's only typically involved like an, in very very high grade or rub, we call it like a grade four rupture and there's definitely been advancements in terms of the surgical procedure in terms of the rehab afterwards as well okay and then so the next one was uh Knox. So Knox with 64 uh, incidents, muscular injuries and 56 incidents. Generally, Knox is one of those ones we're kind of coming back to the pressure. So there's probably not too much that we need to kind of talk about. But it's just like, you know, you got a bruise here or there and you just crack on with it. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I mean, Harry, Harry, I think Harry working with players probably has. Yeah. I see this all the time. Is right? that, would a knock ever. This is one of those ones which is kind of what you were <coughs> alluding to earlier. It was like if you've got a knock, you should get on with it. It depends. I remember there was there was one yep. player that um, their knock was a dead leg, and we've all had dead legs at our time. This turned out to be a very bad dead leg, and it could have led to a blood clot. And yeah, it was serious. Yeah, yeah. So if you said to your coach, "I've got a dead leg," ninety nine percent of coaches would probably go, "You're right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I would get on with it. And yeah. That's what I would do. So again, it's so difficult to get it right. You know, the, the, so. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's one of those where I think, speaking from my perspective as a coach, there's always going to be an element of risk in terms of boy who cried wolf. But generally speaking, you know the character of the player you're working with and you know if there's someone as a character that would, you know, feign it or or overplay the injury. Mm-hmm. And then you also know the characters. I mean, generally speaking, I don't I don't work with players that would quit when they don't need to not because i'm rejecting them on purpose but then you know they why would they come to see me to do extra work if that's yeah, in yeah. their character so i think a lot of the time and one thing that the clubs do have to do better at is they do need to do better at taking the decision out of the player's hand sometimes because most players are so so driven you're not going to get to that level mm. without being so incredibly driven and to do that you will play through i remember years ago um Thank God it's changed now. But I remember, well, say years ago, it wasn't that long ago. Um, do you remember when Roman Lukaku um, concussed Lloris and yeah. Lloris played on and he was completely concussed? Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays that wouldn't happen. But, you know, that, 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 is, that is a professional footballer giving everything for the cause. And when they do that, they will ignore things that can't be ignored. So a knock, there is a knock and then there's a knock. And it's, mm. yeah, it's a very hard one to, to draw the line at. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one, which always feels quite severe... Uh, is 56 incidents in 2023 of knee injuries. That always feels like a pretty scary one. And and one that we've seen with an Arsenal player in, in Durian Timber quite quite recently. And just overall, there seems to be more ACL injuries. Why do you think that's occurring, the, the knee injuries? Because obviously there's, there's different types of uh, knee injuries, uh, of course, and different kinds of severities to it. But why does that occur in football? Typically, I mean, one, it depends on if it's contact or non-contact based, mm-hmm. right? If it's contact based, that's part and parcel with the sport. You can't take the contact out of the sport. When it's non-contact, for me, it's it's first I'm looking at is is that player being overused, right? That's always my initial concern. Uh, in Timber's case, it was still pretty early on, so that just might be one of those outlier injuries. But yeah, it's hard to say why, but in general. I would always look at non-contact injuries as first I'm looking at, okay, is that player being overused? Secondly, is there some underlying factor 
that might have contributed to that. And, and we won't be privy to that, obviously, right? We're not working with that player. But that's that's typically what I would look at. How many data points would a club keep on a player's physical like capacity? Are they and how do you measure? You know, we hear about like the red zone. How do you measure that? I mean, what in terms of like the physical profiling and like yeah, just you know when you hear managers say, "Oh, so and so is in the red zone," how, like unless unless it's literally just speaking to the player and saying, "How do you feel?" or do they measure certain things? Oh, they the they do they they do data te- they do testing physical yeah. testing so often. I think I think they would. I think I spoke to a player recently and they said they would do a full physical testing every six weeks. But there's obviously things going yeah, on between that between that. Um, I don't know if that's correct, if that's standard six weeks, but um, yeah, but they'll obviously be doing things throughout. They have so much available, so much available. Um, yes. So when players come in in the summertime or, you know, preseason, they'll have bench line testing. Yeah. And then they'll test every, and this is just based on the sports science protocol, whatever the team is, they'll, they'll test every X, you know, or Y weeks just to see where they're comparing to that baseline. And then, and then of course you, you still, it's not just testing. You will speak to the physios who work with this player for a long time because no matter what a player tells you, you can kind of see if a player is moving different or they're feeling different, yeah. especially if you have that long-term relationship mm-hmm. um, with that player. So that will come into play as well. And is it like VO2 max and jump and stuff, or what? What is what are the tests? It's a lot. Yeah, the, well, oh, I mean, I, 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 there's a there's a physio I use. It's fantastic, and I take my players there to do testing in the summer before they go back in and. You know, sometimes it'll be like um, the endurance of a muscle. Then it can be like the power of a muscle. So rather than how long they can go, how much can they exert power? Yeah. In a, and that can be for <laughs> quads, hamstrings, calves, like everything yeah, under the sun. They have every bit of, put it this way. If a modern day, as long as the facilities are there, if a player has a certain injury or weakness in a certain part of the body, the club should be able yeah, to find yeah, out yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. They should know. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's metabolic it's... blood testing. Right. So. Wow. Incredible. So I mean, so that I mean, that is the good thing because like this podcast. Is, I think I said. I think I said to Finn before. I like, I'm slightly nervous about this because I don't want anyone to be injured. Obviously, right? Um, it gives you concept. Yeah. But, so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a good time. But the, uh, Does me out of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the but the amount that these guys are playing right now. Yeah. The, the sort of factors around it, it does feel like they're, I don't even want to say this, but they will inevitably be a, a victim from playing so many minutes. To come to you, Alex, when we've got players like Bellingham and how integral Jude Bellingham is to Real Madrid right now, a team that has built, to a point, a whole system kind of around him that do not have a striker and you've got a guy scoring 10 goals from 19 shots in his first 10 games... When you've got someone like Pedri and how crucial he was in that 2020-21 season, he played 69 matches, 69 matches at the age of 17, playing in all those different like tournaments. Um, when you've got someone like Saka as well, mm. the pressure on these guys at such a young age, <coughs> we can say what we want. And there's been discussion about Pep Guardia spoken about players need to kind of um, go on strike and because they're the only ones who can control this. You've got the powers that be, and I find this ridiculous, saying there should be a cap of 55 games. But you tell me when you're going to drop Saka if you've got him available to you, when you know you need to get 90 points if you want to win the league. The question is to you, is like, if we're honest, is it just a case of us understanding and accepting it? But do you think a fan base 
the fan base, the players themselves, the management who, if they lose three games on the trot, they're out of a job. Mm. There is so much pressure on these youngsters and they are so important. There's no room to not play them, is there? So that, that time bomb feels yeah. kind of inevitable, no? I made, a, I made a video about Saka and how we replace him, which in itself is a is the point, isn't it? It's like, it's, you have to you think about right it. You can't right now, yeah. though. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, and yeah. we can't. And Raj, you're an Arsenal fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, we all have to, you have to think about it because, and, and there isn't a way you can do it. I suppose the, the interesting part is you can accommodate, and I think a part of that, and, and something I'm interested in, in hearing your guys' opinion on, is like, there was an interview interview with Raheem Sterling recently where he talked about how he's changed his diet recently or he's like changed something and he's it gone, looks... gone back to what he used. Oh, has he? Yeah, so the idea so he changed his diet, which led to he said more hamstring injuries. He went back to his that's what he done last year. But he's now gone that. back yeah. to his original Your diet. Diet can lead to hamstring injuries. Raj, do you know do you know what what which foods these are? Because mine actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. felt a bit funny this morning. Yeah. I don't know if that's a pizza <laughs> had last night. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what specifically, but certain yeah, nutri- as we talked about, you know, nutrition plays a part with your physiology, right? It's what you're putting into your yeah. body. So it plays a massive part. And sometimes I think Raheem's, Raheem's a great example. Sometimes changing something new may mm. or may not work, yeah. right? It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee always. So, And that's that individualized part we always yeah. talk about. I, I guess that just interested me because even Raheem Sterling, who's what, 27, 28, he's still trying to find the best way to manage his body. Like he's still making adjustments. Yeah. And then you realize how long this journey is. Yeah. Over a twenty-year possibly career, yeah, and that must be so mentally taxing. So, I, what I'm hearing from what you guys are saying that, that there's all this stuff, but fundamentally, it's about how you recover, and you know, and and that that mentality and being like, right, how how can I get the bit most out of those days in between, which is an accommodation, right? So you could go down that road, but actually, yeah, coming back to what you were saying, I wonder whether at what point do we say no, no, enough, enough is enough, and how do we do that? And and I. Yeah, what, what, what wins out? Yeah, and, and, well, the thing is, is at the moment, if you look at the way football's sort of going, it's becoming a squad game, right? It's becoming a first 15, 16. And I wonder how much of that is because of this, a little bit, do you know what I mean? Because of the the load on players that you physically can't... I mean, how many defenders have Arsenal got? They've got like eight, basically eight first-team players. That's right. unheard of 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. I so, mean, one thing you can do is get rid of... A lot of players play nonsense football. So, not the players' choice, I'm talking about the... So there's a play that one of the players I work with, um, he had an incredibly long season. And then literally as the season ended, they went to a tour, a two-week tour, um, somewhere else abroad to play games in the worst humidity. It's like they had just finished the season. Like, give them the time to recover and recuperate. And there was a lot more of that stuff going on. Yeah. Because unfortunately money will always govern the decisions yeah. and the more you wow. can the more games you play the more tournaments you have mm-hmm. the more commercial value you have the more shirts you can sell in said country whatever it might be so players are going to be lambs to the slaughter in this um and it won't stop it won't change and this, this is the sort of overarching absurdity of the powers that be because yeah. when it comes to say international football even things like that say it was a friendly yeah like you would go Friends, you go, Saka, let's say Saka had played against Man City at the weekend. You'd go, Saka, go, leave it, mate. It's a friendly. Honestly, you need to rest, right? Why, why? But the problem we've got now is we've got the Nations League, which is, you know, however you want to look at it, that is, those are competitive games of football. Why did we need the Nations League? Because because friendly seemed ridiculous seemed mean, and, seemed and players were still yeah. having to go out there. But I get, and I guess then you demean 
the idea of international football. But, but the problem is the the root of all evil is money. Yeah. And the fact is that so even the Champions League next year, that's going to be more games yeah. next year. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be 10 and, games and in the group stage. And right? ultimately the Nations League, is why do you need the Nations League? To make it more competitive. Why? So we get more eyeballs on it. Exactly. That's what it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it all comes back to, to, to the money side of it. So I, and then you add the pressure of, because this is the thing as well. Again, I think the overall idea of um, 38 games in a season is not a big deal, right? But 38 games in a season for uh, Donny van der Beek <laughs> and <laughs> Bakayo Saka or Rashford is very, very different. So it feels inescapable for the, the best to mm. escape what they're having to go through right now. And the mental side of it, Raj, must be just beyond exhausting right yeah i mean it's it's constant right it's every single day and then you have the increased microscope from social media all the time right if you have players on that that's a whole other conversation probably right so the pressure is only increasing in multiple multiple ways Mm -hmm. and so it's i mean it's 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 constant and so that's why i mean there's so much more that goes into mental training. You have sports psychologists on most, on most clubs now of how to deal with that pressure. Right. So, you know, a lot of clubs are trying to address that, but it, it, you know, it, it, it wears on you. Everyone, we've all been through busy periods in our life and imagine how you feel mm-hmm. now. Imagine how these footballers feel yeah. going through that all the time, every day, year round, right. Has to wear on you. That feels like the biggest, that must be the biggest challenge. And then people say, well, well, look at so-and-so that they, they can do it. It's like, yeah, but Ronaldo's the 1% of the 1%. You shouldn't have to literally like, no, what do you say about like, yeah. just not drink Coke ever. Or not, every, he literally will not put anything in his body that doesn't yeah. serve him from football. Percent. You shouldn't have to live yeah. like that to, to work as a professional footballer. I don't well, think. Well, if, yeah. Or is it, I guess this is, the, this is how things move forward though. Right. You know, you, there was a moment where, you know, Arsenal, uh, Tony Adams changed. You know, he, he stopped eating steak. He stopped drinking to oblivion. Mm. Like things like that kind of happened and changed. And maybe it's one. See, this is the thing I, I'm trying to figure out if because there are players we have we have lost due to a lack of all this knowledge. I ap- totally appreciate the the pressure that comes with it. And, the, and as I say, that standard that Ronaldo has created. But when we talk about. Jack Wilshere and kind of what what happened to to him, you know, having to retire at 31 and two calf injuries, two groin injuries and ankle surgery twice, six ankle injuries in general, uh, knee injuries twice, um, a fatigue fracture. um, And then players like Ronaldo, Michael Owen. um, Can, will we lose, will we lose more now or will we lose less because the science is better. Uh, I would say we lose less because this, this, we just know so much more. And I think the players know so much more as well. And then that's really the important part is they're being educated on it sooner. I'll give you a perfect example. Jack Wilshere, he gave, an, he gave an interview saying that there were multiple times where he didn't listen to the physios or he didn't tell them the truth. And he feels that played a really, really big role in his injuries, right? And he's now all uh, coaching for the, for the U21. So he can now give that lesson mm to these younger footballers and he's someone they trust. So, you know, I think there's just so much more knowledge that's being passed on. Yeah. Of course, you're going to have injuries, but if I had to guess, I would say it's going gonna, it's gonna to be less. And although there are more, in, it feels like there's more injuries than ever before. Would you say that the sort of silver lining is that those, those injuries are less career threatening than ever before? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say yes. I mean, 
with the amount of football being played, you're going to have injuries. Vinicius Jr. just missed a month with a hamstring injury, for example, after playing, you know, how many minutes last year, high intensity minutes. So to, to say players aren't going to get injured playing this workload is it, just not feasible, but it's all about how can you manage the injury, you know, making it less severe and then bringing them back and reducing some of those, those injury risks. Yeah. And, and Raj, uh, this is c- c- complete sort of anecdotal evidence, but yep. I'm hearing or feeling like players are returning. So like Martinelli at the weekend, supposedly he yep. shouldn't, shouldn't have been back, shouldn't have been back, shouldn't have been back, but he actually, he actually returned sooner. Is that happening as well? It's sort of time frames reducing over the years? Um, yeah, I think overall, yeah. I would say yes, just because like like you said, I mean, I mean, what we talked about multiple times, just the the knowledge base has has increased so much. In, in terms of the rehabilitation, understanding, you know, what players can go through. I mean, even like in the last five years, hamstring, excuse me, hamstring rehab has kind of like shifted forward. And we, there used to be kind of this idea with hamstrings, you don't want to, like you kind of want to baby them a little bit, mm. but now we're seeing like you actually want to push players more to be able to handle those demands yeah. even between, between sessions. So that even that philosophy is changing now. So, however, However, that's all great. My worry is the powers that be go, see? See, he's fine. He's fine. You can play 70 yeah, games. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. So I feel like we've got to quite an interesting point here where it's, it's management of two things. So it feels like, would you agree with this statement, Raj, that it, the injuries are more, inevi- more inevitable than ever before? So the difference between Pedri, Bellingham, all these great Saka, all these great players having unbelievable careers till they're 37 is not in the injuries that they get, but the management of those injuries. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I always thought, I mean, I think Harry mentioned it. It's all about injury management these days. That's, you know, people playing with knocks or, you know, tightness, whatever it is. That's just, that's part of the game now, unfortunately, because they're playing so many games. So, second, so it's all about how you manage it. So secondly, if mm-hmm. that's there for you, there's a, an element of, okay, if we do the right, do the right things, regardless of the inevitability of these injuries that are going to occur and obviously are probably more acutely dangerous in terms of reoccurring at a younger age. So, for example, Pedri, we spoke about the amount of games that he played, 69 at the age of 17 in the 2021 season. He then... Uh, so. So prior to that season, he didn't have any injuries. Obviously, he was a child, though. But a a month after playing in the Olympics, he suffered his first professional injury, missing three matches with a hamstring injury. He then returned to action on the 27th of September, but then got injured again with a hamstring injury only three days later. This time, he missed 102 days of the season, 23 matches. 
At the age of 20, Pedri has now missed a total of 368 days out with injury. Interestingly, five out of his seven absences have been hamstring injuries. And Pedri isn't a player known for explosive pace, but is there a link between fatigue and the hamstring injuries being more prominent than others? Or or do you think that's down to his management of those hamstring injuries, Raj? I mean, I would, it, it's so hard to say. Just the, the thing with hamstring injuries, like I talked about, they're so prone to re-injury is that once you get one, I think like you're, you're, I, you're at three X increased risk for over a year after even your first one. And that's what the data shows. That's how, like how much your risk goes up. So you can do everything right. And you're still at higher risk. Right. And so I, th- I think that's, that's the hard part to really, I'm not sure. I can't ever speak on management because I don't know what they're doing, sure. right? So and if I did, I wouldn't speak on it just because for player privacy, right? I do I think, again, this is a bit of a theory, but maybe that, you know, if you'd say Pedri and, and someone like Jack Wilshere, as a, as a smaller yeah. body, yeah. Yeah. as a smaller, like let's say they've got a 15-year-old's body, mm. even if they are old enough and brilliant enough to play, mm. it's they're sort of overstretching mm. A little bit as opposed to a, a Jude Bellingham who's six foot one at the age of 15 and, and takes three strides and all of a sudden he's gone from the halfway line to the to the edge of the box. Yeah. And and I'm interested, maybe this one with you, Harry. Do you think, is there any evidence suggesting that certain positions tend to get certain kind of injuries? Like, for example, Pedri and Jack Wilshire, they're not the same player, but, you know, they're d- fairly... There's comparisons. There's sure. the, you know, they're, but they're around lots of bodies. So do they get more knocks, for example, compared to a winger who gets more hamstring because they're doing more sprints? Also, that, tight, tight turning, I think, is probably going to play a part. Even if you're, even if you've not got that outrageous pace of a, of a Saka or a Rashford or a Michael Owen, yeah. that, that tight sort of turning points is going to hurt your ankles and therefore maybe your, yeah, your yeah, hamstrings yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Roger again is probably better than, than me to answer this, but I'm sure there is a correlation between that. The the more explosive players will probably end up having more of the hamstring injuries. Mm. Uh, the ones that, um, you know, the ones that go in for more physical duels probably get more knocks. You know, I don't know if it's a position specific thing or an area of the pitch thing. Just I think it's who you are as a player. Um, you know, and... do you know what I think is interesting here as well? Maybe say with the Jack Wilshere and a Pedri, it's not just that they're playing. They are on the ball, especially Pedri. Yeah. They are on the ball for 70% of the game. Yeah. They're having 100 touches and the opposition may be pressing or man-marking them. And so that's even someone like Maradona, you know, yes, you'd be on the ball a lot, but there'd be a lot of like the ball going over his head and, and sort of keeping an eye on that a yeah. lot of the time. So that affects the amount of sprints, the amount of touches, the amount of changes in the direction mm-hmm. that you Wilshire have to... Wilshere was as good as Maradona, you're right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you're right. On to that, I want to finish off with this management thing from the, the mental side of it. So when we're talking about, again, these great players that we, if you pop these guys into Football Manager, they play till they're 37 and they're unbelievable. They win the lot. But as we, you know, when we've looked at that list, sometimes it doesn't kind of work out like that. I know R9, what a great example of that in terms of someone who's an absolute, just disgustingly brilliant footballer. But those knee injuries just, you know sadly destroy your career we've spoken about the, mm-hmm. the inevitability the management from doing the right things to having the stomach for the fight harry in terms of at 20 but more importantly at 26 at 28 when you've gone through two knee surgeries at 32 when you've gone through four is that going to be the toughest thing for these players to, to overcome because as you said ali it's not a 10-year career or in American... And I think American football, you, I watched um, 
documentary of Jason Kelsey, who'd had 12 seasons and, and he was just talking about every day I'm, I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. It's a very different <clears throat> sport, right? It's a very different sport. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. But a 15, 18, 20 year career that we're looking at now, will it come down to not just mindset, not just a growth mindset, but that, that, that sort of that stomach for the fight to keep managing your emotions and your, and having that desire, is that going to be as big as anything physiological? Yeah, of course. For me, the the, the yeah. mental capacity is the is always the biggest um, decider in terms of how far a player goes. With that, sorry, the, the difference between uh, the the physical elements and the mental elements. Do you see a, a, a greater difference or range in the mental side more so than the, the physical Ooh, side? Oh, wow. Um, good question. So many uh, different positions. I understand that, but like, yeah, overall, I guess. I guess. There's probably more correlation in terms of certain aspects, in terms of the mental side, you know, because to get to a professional footballer, that level, the amount of people that you are fighting against to get there, you have to be pretty tough within. You have to be tough. And, you know, there's what there's, I, I use, I say this to players that aren't in academies and want to get into academies. And I say, I will say every professional footballer or academy player I train, when I say it's the end of the session, they will go five more or they have to end on a good one. And there's just that drive within them. And they, most of them have that, you know, I don't have to tell one of those guys to want to work hard. Obviously you always get different personalities. Um, there's always that sort of, they all, most of them or a lot of them, the ones that push on and on have this air of like, I know I'm a good player, like not in an arrogant way, mm-hmm. but like, I know I'm a good player because you can't survive without that belief. So yeah, there's probably more to the limit. But again, it, it, all it takes is one little thing to be different. Have you have you seen, can life make you quit a little bit? In oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, a thousand percent. Football and like we, we say a lot to players, yeah. like you need football to beat you up a little bit because what happens is, is that let's say, you know, you, you go down a, I don't want to say a standard route, but let's say, you know, you're you're a person that, okay, you, you leave school, you go to college, university, you might take a gap year. A lot of those people, they don't actually have to grow up until 24, 25. Life hasn't, obviously everyone goes through different things, but life maybe hasn't beaten them up in that sense. In football, if you haven't grown up by the age of 18, you, you're pretty much done. Right. And, you know, the, whether you like it or not, the tough time is going to come at some stage. And I know a lot of players that are better off having had that come sooner in their career, that strength to go through it, to get through that and push the other side. And then it's a worry if everything's been coasting and not coasting, but lovely. And then you get to 22 and all of a sudden something goes wrong. Could be Mm. a big injury. Maybe you're not the man, you know, that you're, you've always been used to being the guy and now all the managers dropping you and now you're 22 and now it's like, Oh, now I need to cope with this. And that, that could be tough. So yeah, that, that is a big thing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's fascinating with these players because I think Saka's come in and been... Well, so he talks like he's like 35. Yeah, it's incredible. It's yeah. utterly incredible. Yeah. And I think sometimes you feel like that. And certainly as, as you get older yourself, you see 23 looks very different when you're yeah. 33 or even older. The, uh, <laughs> and, and that I think is an interesting thing is that the biggest hurdle for these guys to overcome is, is a mental struggle at the age of 30. It's something that's going to like slap them in the face when they didn't even see it coming because yeah. Bellingham and I think Bellingham has clearly has that mindset. It just feels like it's there. I think Saka's Saka's got it too. And actually, you know, it's a very dangerous thing for me to suggest who does and who doesn't. Mm. But there's certainly there's a battle that that is going to come in a way that 
that these great players, you just expect them, we expect them to be players in a video game these days. Yeah. It just doesn't yeah. work that, like that. It just doesn't. Yeah, no one, yeah. no one's immovable. Everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has things that can yeah. get to them and everyone will have things that get to them in their life. And we all have here, everyone will do. The ones that are the, I don't want to say like you're weak if you can't do this, but generally speaking, the ones that keep pushing on are the ones that, okay, the tough time will come, but I can override that. I can jump that hurdle. I can get through that. The ones that, yep. you know, perhaps don't take rejection in the, in the they, they can't cope with the rejection, whether they're the ones that tend to fall away. And mm. I, there, you go to any, any power league or, or goals in the country and you will go onto a pitch and you'll find someone there that's a good talent. They're everywhere, especially in the UK and London. Talents are everywhere. But the ones, the, <laughs> but the ones, yeah, the ones that like make a career out of it, they have that extra bit, and it's a mental thing, generally yeah. speaking. Yeah, it's it's how you deal with word of the day setbacks, right? So it's just like it, that building that. Uh, um, <laughs> so it's, it's just it's building that resilience. How do you? I think it, it's increasingly difficult. Again, I'm gonna say social media because all you see are are people's perfect lives. And, and that a lot of times can influence, oh, you know, everyone has it so great, but it's understanding that, hey, the setback is part of the process. Like there's a quote from Novak Djokovic. He's talking about how to deal with mental pressure and arguably tennis, high level tennis is the most individual pressure of any mm-hmm. sport, yeah. right? He says, it's not about, you know, getting, getting rid of the negatives. It's understanding they're going to happen and those who can bounce back quicker are the ones who will succeed, right? Yeah. It's it's that bounce back that separates the high level players from the lesser players. The key, uh, probably the thing that me and my colleagues say most to our players is control the controllables. So you're not in control if a manager likes you. You're not in control if a sense of back, if a sense back goes through the back of right. you and you've done your leg in. Yeah. You're not in control of any. You're not in control of if 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 you wake up and you know you're feeling anxious. So all right, you probably are, but th- that can happen. You know, I mean that that can happen without your control. If you if you know what I'm trying to say, mm. but what you are in control of is how you approach every thing that comes to you, good and bad. So and and that's a big mis- that's what a lot of people could think of. Like being mentally strong doesn't just have to be when times are tough. You can have things that go amazingly well for you, and you have to show the mental toughness to not become overly arrogant with it or to become reliant upon that or think oh I'm the I, I, I can take my foot off the gas now because I've done this so all you can do is control the controllables and when you have that approach life becomes not easier but a lot more simple mm. you know you're in control of how you approach training games recovery all things like that how how do you deal with if something happens that's what you're in control of and that is a big message that players need to have you know a lot of players they will not ones that I work with but a lot of players you know that how often do you see it right where a new manager comes in and a new player comes in and all of a sudden the player is praising that manager in comparison to the one before who didn't play him it's like yeah okay fine but it might you might be right but always look to yourself first like you can't control what this manager thinks of you or what this third person does or this injury but you are in control of how you approach it so just focus on that and let the rest take care of itself Fantastic. Harry Brooks FC. Yeah. Run through walls. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. Tell you. Uh, absolutely fascinating stuff. Any other questions? Just so for, I don't want to... The, the only one I had was a re- super technical one, just because it's 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 so common. What is the difference between an ACL, Raj, and an MCL? What is that? Uh, so they're, they're different ligaments in the knee. So, you know, a- ACL is your anterior cruciate, kind of sits on the front of the knee, goes to the back. MCL is your medial. Medial means kind of the inside of your knee, medial collateral ligament. So... Mm. 
Um, just do a quick Google search and you'll figure that out. Yeah, Google it, mate. Yeah, Google it, mate. Um, Come on. ACL's worse, I, I, though, I, isn't it? Oh, significantly, significantly. Yeah. I, I, I joke, but I always say if you want to uh, injure a major ligament in your knee, it would be the MCL because the MCL actually has a very robust blood supply so it can heal quite well. That's why there's even – it's actually not common to have surgery even on a fully ruptured MCL because it can regrow because of that blood supply. Whereas the other major ligaments, your ACL, your LCL, lateral collateral, and your PCL, your posterior cruciate, they don't have that blood supply. And that's why uh, surgery is typically required. ACL, Ooh, another letter. No, it's just loads of CLs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 just made, I just made those up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you want to sound smart, just mumble the first letter in yeah, the CL. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's CL. Yeah. Raj, Thank you so, so much. Guys, listen to me right now, okay? If you're watching me on Spotify, the thing you need to do, okay, is check out everyone, right? But in particular, if you want to know about an injury and know the truth about those injuries, make sure you check out Raj's YouTube channel, which is called, Raj? It's uh, 3CB Performance, 3 Charlie Beta Performance. 3CB Performance. Uh, uh, Yeah, I binge-watched quite a lot yesterday, which made me a bit squeamish, but also I felt educated as well. (laughs) So go check uh, Raj out. Raj, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Really, really appreciate absolutely fascinating stuff. Alex, thank you so much, mate. Absolutely love talking football with you or just generally chatting with you. And Harry so insightful mate absolutely loved it um harry's still trying to figure out what his twitter account is but if you search his name he's there. <laughs> somewhere just make yeah. sure you refer to him as coach harry and alex of course uh, the different knock youtube channel absolutely fantastic especially if you're an arsenal fan right if you've clicked all the buttons we're done aren't we thank you so Box much stars. for listening <laughs> yeah yeah five star review five star review uh thank you so much guys and uh, we'll be back soon